G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. Audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. Coming up today on The Story. I said, we need to pray before we go on this trip because I believe God's got something for us. So we just prayed a very, very simple prayer. And that was, Lord, if you've got something for us to do in Bali, you need to open the doors. After we prayed about it, we jumped on the plane. And uh, that is actually a, a dangerous prayer to pray because God opened doors for us left, right and centre. The Story. G'day, I'm Jimmy Colfax. Welcome to The Story. Well, today we have more of our conversation with Jeff and Virginia Ball, who are sharing their story with us and how God has been working in their lives. Last time, we heard about their troubled marriage and how their relationship began to heal after they went to a Christian counsellor. Also, we heard how this eventually led to Jeff becoming a Christian. Today, we'll pick up their story in 2004. At this point, they are both growing Christians and about to head to Bali on holiday. But before they left, they prayed to God about their trip. Once again, they're chatting with Eric Scatterbo from their home in Cairns, Queensland. Jeff and Virginia, welcome back to the program. Thanks very much, Eric. Thank you. Glad to have you with us once again. And let's continue our conversation. As we just heard, you ended last time talking about how God was starting to tug your heart. You had become a Christian in 2000. Virginia, you had become a Christian before that. And now you were going to Bali on holiday, but God impressed on your heart to pray about it. Tell us what happened. After we prayed about it, we jumped on the plane. And uh, that is actually a, a dangerous prayer to pray because God opened doors for us left, right, and center. What was the prayer specifically? The prayer was specifically that uh, God would open doors if he had something for us to do in Bali. It was oh. that simple. Oh. Very simple prayer. So, and then he started to open doors? Is that kind of what you're getting at? Yeah, absolutely. Yes. That was through divine appointments and situations, that kind of thing. But mm-hmm. um, that was really the, the catalyst for our ministry in Bali. And Virginia, what did you think when Jeff said, hey, let's pray before we go on holiday? I thought it was a good idea. (laughs) And let me say that within two hours, we could talk for hours, but within two hours of arriving in Bali, we met the first couple that we started our children's home with. Oh, wow. Yeah, within two hours of being there, we were introduced through God to a Christian Indonesian couple that we went on to become friends with and he opened our heart and the rest is very complicated but very interesting. Our church in Sydney, we would go on short-term mission trips to Bali, meet up with the couple and they would show us things and that and we decided with our church and with this couple to start a children's home in 2007. Wow, the Lord wasn't messing around. He had some ideas for you right away. I'll let Jeff continue from there. I'd been roaming around up the hills of northeast Bali and came across this tiny little village and tiny little Christian community. Uh, The only way to get there was by motorbike or walking, Mm -hmm. and uh, it was quite an arduous trip. But um, what I noticed was all of the children running around there 
just had rags hanging off them. They were filthy, dirty, and obviously none of them were going to school. So I just got my friend to ask the village leaders what was going on with the kids, why weren't they at school? And he just, he simply said, well, number one, they can't afford it. And number two, there are no schools around here. So uh, it's just too far for them, the little ones to get to school. And so I went away with that in my mind and thought about it quite a bit and prayed about it. And uh, the Lord just gave me this idea of, of basically opening, I guess you would call a little boarding house mm-hmm. um, down in Denpasar. And I had no idea that the people would be accepting in any way, but I summed up the courage and went back and asked them and said, would you be prepared if some of your children could come to Denpasar, um, stay in a boarding house and be looked after and cared for and be able to go to school? And uh, to be frank, we were just about killed in the rush because what you need to understand Mm -hmm. is in Indonesia, there's no social security, there's no health care, there's no no nothing. So the older people or their parents, as they get older, their social security is their children. So they understand that if their children get educated and get a job, then it's only going to be to their benefit. Mm -hmm. So when I made the suggestion, I could have taken 20 kids. But um, we ended up taking four, four little boys. And that was determined by the village leaders and the parents. We just rented a house in Denpasar. And um, the couple that we met just after we got off the plane that first time back in 2004, because this is 2007, they became the carers mm-hmm. of the children. And that's how it got started. And Virginia, what was your role in all this? Oh, I didn't have much of a role at that stage. Well, what did you think about all this when uh, Jeff came up with this idea? Oh, I thought it was wonderful because I understood that with no social security, these people were just dependent on their children. So it was a wonderful idea. Wasn't it amazing how far your husband had gone in just a few years? I mean, just a few short years ago before this, this was, uh, what, 2004 and 2007? Just a few short years before this, your marriage was in tatters and very rocky. I know. But I used to meet with three other women once a month. We'd have a meal together and then we'd pray. And I used to say to them, if my husband ever becomes a Christian, he will do wonderful things because he's always had a generous heart Mm -hmm. for helping people. So this was God's plan for us. So that's very interesting because you shared last time that you didn't think he would become a Christian, but yet at the same time you thought miraculously, if somehow he did become a Christian, he'd be a really good one. Is that what you're saying? Yeah. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> well, I'm let's get back. A, I'm a contradiction. <laughs> but I think we can all understand. Uh, you just wouldn't believe it until you saw it, I guess. It sounds like. Yes, I'm one of those people. <laughs> but Well, I was one of those people. That's right. But when Jeff became a Christian, you were absolutely right. He was going full forward uh, as far as ministering to people and following the Lord's will in his life, it sounds like. Yeah, very much. All right, let's get back to you, Jeff. How was the Lord working in your life after that? It was interesting because the Lord was really laid on my heart, as I say, back in 2004, just a heart for the Balinese. But then I saw that there was a, a poverty cycle that these people were going through. And so he just impressed upon me the need to do something about it. And um, I was very taken by that scripture in James, which talks about faith and active faith. And so, you know, it's, it's all one good thing to, to pray for someone and send them on their way. It's another thing to actually go and do something about it. 
So that was uh, kind of the catalyst for me to, to actually go and do something about it. And um, I wouldn't say that I actively had any plans. I mean, God just sort of brought situations about, brought people into my path that facilitated the whole thing. And so the, that ministry that started with four kids today is now 24. Oh. And uh, it's a, a full-blown children's home. So um, it's been a remarkable journey because in that time, from the time we started the children's home, of course, we then got the call to actually move to Bali in full-time ministry. Tell us about that. You moved to Bali full-time in 2009? What did you do? Yes, that's right. We'd been thinking about it for some time and uh, God was just stirring us up because uh, I really believe he knew that there was something for us to do over there. And then when we put that idea to our church, they were a little bit hesitant, but uh, in the end gave us their full blessing. And so in 2009, we we sold up everything we had except for our house mm-hmm. and uh, we moved to Bali. The reason we didn't sell our house is because that was what was financing us. So um, we just oh. we basically lived off the rent from our house and uh, that's what we survived on uh, in Bali for those first first number of years. And then Virginia, you were called to prison ministry in 2010? Yes, in 2010, the pastor of the church we were attending in Bali got a phone call from a beautiful missionary lady saying, did anyone in his church go into Karabakan prison? And Pastor Don said, yes, Virginia and Jeff do. So they gave us a call. I got called there because a foreign lady, a Filipino lady, had been arrested. And if you know the situation with the jails in Indonesia, they're not like here. The only free thing you get is a cell to sleep in and rice and a few bits of food twice a day. The rest you have to supply for yourself. So your family Mm -hmm. has to supply that. And for foreign women, they don't have the family there to supply those things for them. So... That started out a ministry for me that ended up I had 10 foreign women. Over the next 12 months, there were 10 foreign women that were arrested from Thailand, the Philippines, South Africa, and I was able to help those girls get established in the jail where they found ways that they could make money if they made things. And I ended up starting in 2011 I was able to get permission to go into the women's block and I used to teach them craft, knitting and sewing and that became my ministry in the prison two days a week until we left in December 2018. Were you able to share your faith with any of these ladies? No, not officially because you're not allowed to proselytise. Mm -hmm. So because I'd gone in under a craft umbrella... I wasn't allowed to say anything. But if somebody asked me, I could tell them. Mm-hmm. But the women knew I was a Christian mm-hmm. and the women knew it was because of Jesus that I was in there helping them. So you were able to be a blessing to them? Yes, yeah. And look, I got more blessings from those women than I think I could have ever given them. But they won't agree with that, I know. But you know, Eric, that uh, there's a, a wonderful ending to this story because um, God works in amazing ways and uh, just the, the witness that Virginia was to the girls in there. You know, the thing that was wonderful for me watching that ministry was the way the girls actually thought of Virginia as their mum. Mm-hmm. You know, she was mum of Virginia to them. Mm-hmm. And, you know, in a situation where they're in a foreign country, in a foreign prison, 
it was just an amazing blessing for them and also for the local girls that were in there as well. And in fact, Virginia can tell you an amazing story where as a result of that, that ministry, a young couple actually did come to the Lord. Yes, let's hear that story. Well, it's since we returned to Australia, earlier this year, I received a Facebook request from one of the women that I had taught knitting to in the jail. Mm -hmm. I get a lot of Facebook requests from people in Bali wanting to be my friend, and I generally just dismiss them. But for some reason, the Lord put a check in my spirit and I befriended her soon as I did that, within two minutes, I got a message back from her, could I help her? And I thought, oh, this is the usual story because of COVID. And um, the husband had lost his job. They didn't have any money. They didn't have money to buy milk for their baby. Mm. So to cut a long story short, we were able to assist them, to put them in contact with our ministry partners in Bali. Through that ministry, they learnt about Jesus and her and her husband have both given their lives to the Lord and her husband's sister has come to the Lord. Oh, fantastic. The lady saw the Christian people coming into the jail and seeing what they did for people. Wow, that's wonderful. So the ministry that you started in the prison years later, even after you've returned to Australia, is still bearing fruit to this day. That's great. Yes, yes, such a blessing. You're listening to The Story. Today, Eric Scadabo is once again chatting with Jeff and Virginia Ball, who are sharing their story with us and how God opened doors for them to do ministry work in Bali. They'll share more about their ministry adventures and some of the amazing people they've met when we return. The Story. If this program has highlighted something you'd like prayer for, we'd love to pray for you. Call 1-800-PRAY-FOR-ME. That's 1-800-772-936. It's a free call. Or text 0401 132 Hi, I'm Jimmy Colfax, and this is The Story. Today, once again, Jeff and Virginia Ball are sharing how God has been working in their lives and how he has opened doors for them to do ministry work in Bali. Now, here's more of their chat with Eric Scadabo. So the both of you are ministering to people, being a blessing to people in Bali, but actually many of those people were also a blessing to you. Is that right? So, Jeff, can you tell us about uh, some people that you met there that had a huge impact on your life? Yeah, look, I think one of the major blessings of that ministry is, is the people that you meet. And some of those people are just people of extraordinary faith, is how I'd put it. Mm-hmm. I can give you a couple of examples. Uh, one guy was a fellow that we call Muhammad the Christian. Muhammad was an Iranian. He fled Iran after being locked up twice for attending a church. The second time he was under the threat of execution miraculously, he was actually released on bail. And by the way, the, the bail was uh, was his house. Hmm. And uh, so he and his wife and their young child fled Iran. And that is an amazing story in itself. I mean, you could make a movie out of it, honestly. Hmm. But anyway, they got hmm. out of Iran safely and ended up in Bali. And so uh, Muhammad came to me one day and he said, and he got baptized in Bali, by the way. And um, he said, I'm going to go to Jakarta and get on one of those boats to travel to Australia. 
this is back in about 2012, 2013, when the boat people were at the height. You know, and there's a massive problem of people coming from Indonesia. Mm-hmm. And I said to him, Muhammad, you've got to do what the Bible says. And the Bible says that you have to obey the laws of the land. And I said, what you need to do is go to Jakarta and register with the UNHCR as a bona fide refugee and get refugee status and then apply for a visa to Australia. And he said, okay, I'll do it. So he packed up his wife and his child and off they went to Jakarta. Now, as a result of that, Muhammad started an extraordinary ministry in Jakarta, which only finished last year because he finally got a visa to go to Canada. And so they registered uh, with the UNHCR and they started then started this little radio program. And his ministry was to reach all of the Afghan and Iranian people who were refugees in Jakarta. And he was a technical person, so he started up this ministry and he reached an extraordinary number of people who came to the Lord through that ministry. He was actually threatened. He and his family were threatened by extremist Muslims in Jakarta and had to move. But some of the things that this this guy did were just absolutely amazing. And his faith uh, through all of this was just extraordinary. He actually applied for a visa to Australia and got knocked back. I would have to say that also his ministry was probably more effective in stopping boat people coming from Indonesia than what John Howard's pronouncements were back Mm. in that day because he reached all of the individual people through his little radio program. And he actually started that all himself. He was quite a technically competent person, so he set up his own little radio station the whole bit. It was a phenomenal ministry. And he's now in Canada, you mentioned? Yep, he's now in Canada. And continuing to do ministry there? Yes. Uh, well, Muhammad's ministry will never stop. He's one of those guys who's uh, just a naturally gifted evangelist. And so his heart is for his people. And so uh, I'm sure he's, uh, he's ministering to, uh, to Muslim people in Canada as we speak. Unfortunately, we're quickly running out of time, but can you tell us about another person whose life had a huge impact on you? Yeah, well, I'd say it would be Kadek Daoud, who's our ministry partner. And um, his story is phenomenal. His Grandfather and his father were both Hindu priests, the head priests in their village, mm-hmm. and Kadek was being raised as the next Hindu priest for the village. Uh, that was back in 1989. At the time, all three of them got saved. And that was uh, quite an extraordinary story because you can imagine this is the high priest of the whole village. It's in Bali. His ministry has just been extraordinary because his father became probably the most renowned evangelist, I suppose, in Bali and uh, been responsible for numerous salvations and numerous churches and home churches throughout Bali. The problem in Bali is churches are actually illegal in most of the villages. So um, it really is uh, difficult for them to have any sort of church life. But his father started that ministry and Kadek continued it on. And um, he's become an extremely, extremely powerful force in terms of evangelism in Bali because the Balinese are so hard to reach because the problem is they they are persecuted. See, the whole thing with, with the Balinese Hindus is they are, it's all about community. They are a community people. Wow. Well, you met some extraordinary people and I know you have even more than that, but unfortunately we're running out of time. Let's kind of wrap up our conversation with your story. What happened after you did all this ministry work in Bali? Still ongoing, Mm-hmm. Uh, because we'd been there for nine years, we thought we need to come back to Australia for a break. Mm-hmm. 
because we'd virtually come back to Australia twice a year and do 3,000 kilometres each trip telling supporters what was going on in Bali and we were getting burnt out so mm. we needed to come back to Australia with the proviso that we would return a couple of times a year but in 2020 we were in Bali on one of our trips where the government told us to come home because of COVID and we obeyed what the government said and unfortunately we haven't been able to return but we get wonderful updates every week of what the Lord God is doing over there and it, it's just amazing to hear the people that are coming to the Lord through the ministry that was started through the children's home back in 2007. Okay, so now you're back in Australia, living near Cairns. In our remaining few moments, what can we learn about this long journey that the Lord has had you on from a troubled marriage to impacting people in another country? What can we learn from all this? Well, obviously, it sounds a bit of a cliche, but nothing is impossible for the Lord. And um, it doesn't matter what your situation is, uh, you can come from the darkest of places and you can come to the lightest of places. And the, the light of the Lord is something that is to be pursued, to be appreciated. And um, just praise, all we can say is praise God for the journey that we've been on. You know, I mean, we didn't, we didn't start ministry until we were 60 years old. So the other point I would make is you're never too old. Mm -hmm. And um, there is always something we can do. And there's always something that uh, we can step into when God calls us. You know, we're not finished yet by any stretch of the imagination. We're still in touch with our ministry partners uh, on a weekly basis via WhatsApp and meetings and all sort of things. So it's still exciting times for us. We are so excited about the future. We cannot wait. And the one thing I will say is the Lord provided. We were not with any missionary associations. We were self-funded. And the Lord has provided for us the whole time and has provided for us abundantly since we have returned to Australia. Fantastic. Wow. It's just exciting to hear how the Lord has worked in your lives, taking you from, as we mentioned, from a troubled marriage to now being a blessing to others and having your own legacy. And it all started because you met Suzanne White and you got that book from yep. Malcolm. And so you're part of their legacy, and now other people are a part of your legacy, and it just goes on and on, a blessing, repeating. And hopefully many people will hear this on the radio, and they'll be inspired to do ministry as well. So thank you very much for sharing your story with us today. Thank you thank for giving you. us the opportunity, Eric. It's been a pleasure. Well, that was the conclusion of our two-part conversation with Jeff and Virginia Ball, who shared with us their story as a couple and how God has been working in their lives. And it was great to hear how far they've come over those years. We started off hearing how their marriage was in tatters and seemingly on its last legs when they went to see a marriage counsellor. Then we heard how they both began to grow in their faith and do wonderful ministry work in Bali, impacting many people's lives. Just fantastic. I think it's just one more example of how you never know the amazing adventures that you can end up going on when you surrender your life to the Lord. Also, how their ministry in Bali all started with a simple prayer before they headed there on holiday. They said, Lord, if you have something for us to do in Bali, you need to open the doors. And that's exactly what God did with amazing results. Well, how about you? 
Are there potential doors for ministry work that God can open for you? The possibility is endless. As the Bible says, the fields are ripe for harvest. And that's certainly something to pray about. Well, thanks for joining us for part two of Jeff and Virginia's story. Until next time, I'm Jimmy Colfax encouraging you to share your story with someone today. Next time on The Story. When I was about five, I remember being in church during time of worship and we're singing this song, The Steps of a Good Man Are Ordered by the Lord. I was five and I remember saying to my dad, because I was singing it, that's not right. And I said to dad, but I'm a girl, not a man. And uh, I will never forget, dad looked at me and said, well, you sing The Steps of a Good Girl Are Ordered by the Lord. Anna White-Atkins is the daughter of past guests Malcolm and Suzanne White. Anna will share some of the challenges she faced growing up as a pastor's kid, as well as the huge impact her parents have had on her life, faith and ministry. That's all coming up next time. The Story. Just another way Vision is helping you look to God daily. Thanks for taking time to listen to this audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, go to vision.org.au.